0: Welcome to the Marketing Money Podcast. MarketingMoneyPodcast.com. We are here live. When you're here, it won't quite be live, but we're going to bring it live. We're in New Orleans, Orleans, Mr. Mabus, where are we?
1: Uh, Crescent City, um, land of fun and games. And um,
0: hey, we're at the ABA Wealth Management. And trust conferences. Yeah, where that's are. where
1: I was going. I was going to segue myself since you didn't set me up very well. I don't
0: segue very well. We have our first guest tonight on the podcast. I guess it's evening time. Mr. Ben Carlson, how are you today? Good, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Well, let's. Um, you spoke earlier, correct? Correct. Give us a little rundown of your. We just got in, so give us a little rundown of your. Your speech, your ideas, and what's going on here at the Wealth Management Conference from your perspective.
2: The cliff notes, yeah. So I was just talking about uh, sort of where the financial advisory and wealth management uh, industry is going. Um, And and my sort of takeaway, I think, is that uh, technology is going to continue to play a huge role in in how firms interact with clients. Um, I think that, uh, that, that something's really important that's happening these days is that Personal brand is meaning a lot more than, than the name on the door these days. Um, people really care about the people they work with, and they want someone who's open and honest and transparent, um, and maybe care a little less about the, the sort of name of the firm on the door.
0: Little mood music popping in there, on, it's like hey, you just pulled it in.
1: I'll take you. This is New Orleans. You never know a, a parade will come by any second <laughs> and um, entertain us. Uh, ben, tell us a little bit about your blog. Um, give us kind of the give, give us um, our, our listeners an advertisement, if you will, for. Sure. For your blog.
2: Sure, so the, the site is called The Wealth of Common Sense. And and I've worked in the money management business for a while and I've worked on the institutional side. So I've worked with these foundations, endowments, pension plans. Um, and the thing I found is that uh, a lot of people assume that because the markets are very complex and the world is a complex place, that you have to um, solve these problems, these these um, problems with complex solutions. And I've always found that that's not really the case. The the simple solution usually makes a lot more sense to me. And the, the idea behind the blog was really to help explain the complexities of the economy and the markets and investing to people in a way that they can understand. So my, my favorite quote from Einstein, and it, it could be um, that you Google it and figure out that he didn't say this or something, but my, anyway, it's attributed to him. And he said, like, if you can't explain it to a six-year-old, you probably don't understand it yourself. So my idea is, like, let's simplify this stuff as much as we can so um, people can, can understand it whether they're in the finance world or not.
0: So simplification is the, Correct. One, is the one big thing. So, so you said you, um, you talk to these pension funds, you talk to large funds that have money to invest. Do they bring you in as an, a consultant, or do you actually manage fund funds for them? Excuse
2: yeah, so, so we do a little bit of both. So we, we consult um, with a lot of these funds because they may have an investment committee and a board. Um, some of them might not have investment staff because they don't have the financial resources if they're a little smaller. Um, and so we kind of run the gamut between the ways that we uh, help these places out.
0: Is uh, diversification still the big word? Yeah, yeah. I Man, I feel like anytime I hear investments and I you have to know this podcast is very we're very 101 level here. Oh, but that's the big we're word. Remediated. The, I'm
1: remediated yeah, at least.
0: That's that's the big word I always hear when it comes to investments is to have you diversify. It seems like that's the kind of keyword still.
2: Yeah, and the way that I look at it is, is diversification is the way that you you sort of give up you give up on the home runs hitters, but you also miss out on the strikeouts, so you're taking singles and doubles. Um the the problem with diversification is that there's always going to be something that you're holding on to that you're going to hate at the moment, um, because it's it's kind of something that diversification takes a long time. It's a it's a they call it it's the only free lunch on on Wall Street, but it takes a long time to cook. So I like that. Yeah. So so it's something that it, diversification is for long-term people um, because it doesn't always work over the short term, but it's it's the sort of thing that um, whether you like it or not, it's always working.
1: So Ben, tell us a little bit about. Um um, and, you know, it's first day of the conference, so we're we're going to be popping this out probably um, this week. So, giving people kind of a little feedback. It's it's early, so you're you don't have a whole lot of ammo on this. But what are you seeing so far um, about this conference that you'd love to tell others? Um, what they're missing out on by not being here?
2: Yeah, you know, I think one of the one of the best parts about coming to a conference like this is the fact that you get to interact with with people from all sort of walks of life in the finance industry. And so we have uh, product providers here. You have investors. Um, you have financial advisors, people in the wealth management industry, um, sort of leadership, and all the way down the down the line. So, so I think just sort of interacting with and sharing ideas with other people at this time of event is is really helpful.
0: So I'm going to ask this to. Many people that we interview maybe
2: in a different way,
0: and I'll go ahead and say the the not not made disclaimer or whatever. This is not investment advice. This is just an investment question I'm asking. If I fall into a million dollars tomorrow, and I call you and say, what should I do with it? What would you advise me to do?
2: Right. The the the, the financial dream
0: the dream situation. Right. I yeah. it. whatever. Yeah, I have the, ten millions. Million, the dream. And it's cash. Million. Let's yeah. just say a million, just to keep it even.
2: And yeah, yeah. The, I mean, the I, I think the biggest thing to consider when when someone comes to us as a client um we think everything has to be attached to your goals and so you know we try to figure out what's your risk profile what's your time horizon um you know what are your desires what do you want to do with this money do you want to spend it all and go on vacations every year do you want to save some for your kids and send them to college so so i think the biggest thing really when investing there's never any right or wrong answer there's no black or white in the investment world Um, it's always what do you want to accomplish and what do you need so the way that we look at it is, what's your need to take risk, what's your willingness to take risk, and what's your ability to take risk? So I think if you can kind of come to a balance between those three things, um, th- that's kind of a, a way for me to weasel out of answering it um, no, perfectly. No, no, no. But, per- perfectly uh, good answer. Yeah, but, but it's it's kind of, it depends, but it really depends on on sort of your risk profile.
0: And, and you mentioned earlier, uh, personal brand. Uh, and I guess I, I can get that because when you've got LPLs and platforms that allow people to trade as they need to, the person actually becomes the brand with their client. Explain a little bit about how you uh, go about your personal brand and what you sell when and sell may be a negative, but what you bring to the table when you meet with uh, future clients or current clients.
2: Yeah, and and one of the things we've found, so we we spend a lot of time, um, we have five people at our firm that that write blogs, um, me being one of them. We spend a lot of time on social media and the best part for us for that is that we found that um, when we have prospects come to us. It, it kind of shortens the, the time window a little bit for us to bring them in as a client so they know us a little bit already. And so they know our values, our philosophy. You know, we try to be very open and honest and transparent with what we're writing. And, and we try to even talk about some maybe personal experiences. And, and so, so I think putting yourself out there a little bit and, and talking in, in your own voice and not trying to be so, um, so stuffy as people can be in the financial media industry and kind of you know, finding your own voice, I think it's really helpful and people really relate to that. Or, or they don't. And so it's a good way to kind of weed out people that, that like your style, people that don't.
1: So you mentioned Einstein earlier, we're talking about personal brand and I'm, I'm interested to know, um, this is a question I like to ask a lot of different people from a lot of different walks of life, but what's the most, are the most impactful unconventional wisdom that you found? So outside of the investment community, what? What's something you've picked up on? You use Einstein. Is there is there anything else that you use to inform how you go about your business?
2: Yeah, so I, since you guys missed the t- stuff today, I can talk about something I'll talk about in the speech. Absolutely. So I, I, I did a jog earlier today, and I walked by the uh, World War II Museum. Mm-hmm. And So I'm, I'm a huge World War II buff. I, I did some time in Europe when I was in college, so I love that. And and um, there, there was a story back then where they, they were trying to figure out how to put more armor on their fighter planes because coming. there were so many of them that got hit and we're getting sunk um, and taken down by the enemy and they couldn't figure out, you know, how do, we, how do we help these pilots come back so they don't get shot down? And they started, they started looking at the bullet holes on these planes and the, the engineers were looking at them and saying, all right, well, we need to put more armor on these bullet holes. Well, this other guy who's a mathematician said, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. The planes that are coming back, th- those all survive because they have bullet holes. The, the ones we need to study is the areas that aren't being hit because that's what makes them come back. And, and so the, the idea is that I always thought that it's, it's sort of looking at a problem backwards, and I really like that, that example, and the, the phrase I like to use is that you know avoiding stupidity is a lot easier than emulating brilliance in a lot of ways because th- there's a lot of really smart people in the, in the marketplace in, in finance and investing. Um, there's a lot of people with you know, Ivy League degrees, um, they, they have CFAs or CFPs, and so I think you're really, it's a really competitive field. So I think if you can figure out a way to sort of avoid mistakes, Or or cut down on unnecessary problems. I think that's a really you know easy way that you can sort of get ahead in this field.
0: That uh, sounds like the Warren Buffett documentary I was saying I saw on HBO the other day, where he says two rules: don't lose money and don't forget the first rule. Yeah. (laughs) And that's kind of where you summed up right there: is the mistake of losing money. Right. You know, keep keep growing it, don't lose it. Yeah, uh,
2: yeah. I actually saw that documentary too. It was was really well done. But but yeah, yeah. So it's just it's sort of get out of your own way in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And I think one of, the, one of the easiest ways to do that is just really have sort of a rules-based philosophy because no, really, no one really knows where the market's going any given day, week, month, or year. So, so I think you have to have a plan in place that, you know, whatever happens, you'll know what to do. So, you know, if X happens, I'll do Y and sort of an if-then framework, I think, is really helpful.
1: Awesome. Well, Ben, thank you so much for your time today on uh, Marketing Money Podcast. Um, please uh, give our, view- our listeners, or not our viewers... Um, if any of you are viewing this, you have some <laughs> new technology that I don't have. Uh, please give our listeners uh, the URL and let people yeah, know where how to find get, you online. Yeah, how they
2: get in touch with you? Yeah, yeah my, my website is uh, it's called A Wealth of Common Sense. I have a book by the same name, so just Google A Wealth of Common Sense. You should be able to find me and uh, check out my blog. I write four or five times a week probably. Awesome.
0: Fantastic. Well, thanks for coming on the show. This was our first guest today, and we're going to keep straggling along here and New Orleans at the ABA Wealth Management and Trust Conference, this is the Marketing Money Podcast. This is John Oxford, and we will have a new guest up in just a few minutes. Thank you for your time, Ben.
2: Thanks a lot, guys.
0: Welcome back again, Marketing Money Podcast at marketingmoneypodcast.com. This is John Oxford with my broseph and Joseph. That did not make sense. It's New Orleans. Nothing makes New, sense. New Broleen. Nothing, nothing makes sense in New Orleans. We have the one and only, Miss Laura Magnuson. Good
2: <laughs>
3: job.
0: See,
1: I'm from from
0: Mississippi. I can't pronounce a darn
3: thing.
1: Well, he's also a name,
0: a professional name butcher. Yeah, I'm
1: I'm a
3: professional name butcher. (laughs) My name sounds better with your accent, so I like
0: it. Uh, Maybe, maybe. Welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about what you presented earlier today. And for those that are listening, we just showed up to this conference. We haven't seen anybody present, so they may feel like, well, you didn't come to my presentation. Well, we weren't here for it. So we were setting up this. We were setting um, up this. The beautiful booth for radio. Yes.
3: Well, you missed out because I talked about private equity and and accessing private equity in the retail universe, which really hasn't been done in in many years. So it's pretty exciting to talk to everybody about it. So
0: what do I need to do to access private equity?
3: You got to do a lot of homework. You got to look at firms like ourselves who have an expertise in this. Uh, but, you know, it used to be private equity was only available to endowments like, you know, Yale, MIT, Tulane, uh, Mississippi State, <laughs> wherever you want to look, you know, it used to be that you had to have that kind of capital and that kind of size to invest in really good private equity. And to us at takers, that just seemed fundamentally unfair. Why is it that, you know, my mom and dad have to get, you know, a worse kind of private equity versus the endowments and institutions. Why can't they get as high a quality? They shouldn't be penalized based on their net worth. So, you know, takers and other firms too, we've spent a lot of time researching it and figuring out new fund structures so that the retail client can actually invest in private equity. So that was a big focus of what we talked about today.
0: So who are your clients?
3: Our clients are typically more retail oriented. Um, but Takers runs the gamuts. You know, we do banks. We do trusts. We do private individuals. We do family offices. Uh, we work a lot with independent broker dealers and the wire houses. But at the end of the day, we're, our audience is typically the retail investor.
1: Gotcha. So real quick, uh, this is a 101 podcast, maybe even a remediated podcast, especially for me. I don't
0: even know what remediated means, so it's not <laughs> even that much. It, it's it's before,
1: it's before you know what you're doing. Uh, <laughs> um,
0: I'm not even there. Tell us. um I, hope, I, and, hope I
1: can and answer this question. Maybe, <laughs> maybe this is an unfair question, but tell us the the absolute high point why why we're looking at private equity and and what's the biggest risk in in, in approaching um, the the need for private equity.
3: Yeah, I mean those are the most important questions to answer. So not remedial at all. I mean, why do you even look at private equity? Your goal is when you're looking at a client's portfolio, you want to earn them some returns. And if you're looking at the equity market right now, you know, maybe there's some things that, you know, particularly the Trump administration's doing that's supportive of the equity market in general, but maybe you're a little bit nervous that there's some tail risk out there. Accidents could happen. What does that mean? You might want a different avenue to invest in a client's portfolio. And private equity typically outperforms public equity. That's why you want to invest in it year after year. If you look at just a private equity index, it tends to outperform public equity by about 4%. So you're looking to add returns to a portfolio. That's why you do it. The risks are that you invest in the wrong firm. So you got that's where you really do have to do your homework. You know, there's there's good private equity firms and there's not so good ones. So you have to know what you're investing in and the risk is that you pick the wrong one.
0: So a lot of our audience are branders and marketers. How do you all market, or how do y'all, let me speak the way I do, how, y'all. Do, y'all, how do y'all market yourselves?
3: How do we, how do we market ourselves? Well, particularly, let's focus on private equity for this and I'll get to the firm. You know, we've done something unique with our, uh, our private equity fund where it's actually available for public consumption, the marketing of it. So, what does that mean? Technically, we're 33 and 40 act registered, which means you can actually go to our website and learn everything you want about it. And what is that website? Fund. Al- www.altegris.com. It's A L T E G R I S, and it's look. It's a big mantra for us generally with marketing. We believe that investors should have access to as much as they're essentially compliantly available to have access to them. But you know, we want you to go on our website and learn as much as you can on your own. We don't have some sort of secret password to get to anything that's unique. If we're allowed to show you it from a compliance perspective, we're gonna show it to you. Uh, So you go to our website and that's where you can look at educational material. You can look about each fund, why you invest it, the risk to that great question. It's all there.
0: So she said educational and I'm gonna segue into more personal. I'm looking at your bio here, pretty darn impressive. Oh, thanks. See, so we've got a, a B.A. in economics with a minor in business administration from the University of California, Berkeley.
3: That's right.
0: And you got an MBA from the Randy School of Management, University of California, San Diego. That's right. And then you've got a chartered alternative investment analyst, which means you're, like, way out there, super smart, <laughs> got it going on. If I'm a young, if I'm a young person listening to this, what, what would you tell them about getting an education to be in your line of work?
3: Do it early when you're young and have more energy. That's probably <laughs> the most important thing but figure out what your passion is you know it's it, it sounds so cliche but I, I i really have a passion for investing i like alternative investments because i feel like it's really difficult to make money in public investing anymore it's hard to get that discernible edge but you know you got to know what you're doing in alternative investments so getting as educated as you can is the most important step and then back to you know the more rudimentary questions then it comes back to being practical you have all that education but you still have to be intelligent and practical because at the end of the day people are investing in this stuff. You're a fiduciary and you got to be a good fiduciary to client portfolios.
1: Tell us about um, a case study of a, of a home run and um, alternative inve- tar. Inter- <laughs> I've been drinking already. Guys. Managing uh, his syllables. Um, alternative investments and, 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 and what what's your wheelhouse and how that's compared. You know, you talk about um, mm-hmm. the private side outperforms the public market by about 4%, but um, give us. One of those slam dunk case studies that you've experienced again, knowing that this investment happened um, in the past and there's yeah. no.
3: I love this question. This is great. Um, so I'll give you. I'll, let's let's shift away from private equity and we'll give you a slightly different example. So one of the one of the strategies available in alternative investments is called managed futures. A lot of people may not know what that is, but it's actually an uncorrelated strategy that invests in commodities, currencies, stock indices, and fixed income futures across the globe. Uh, So really diversified, super liquid, and very uncorrelated to traditional assets. So the home run example is 2008, one of the worst years for traditional investing, right? Typical managed futures managers were up between 10 and 20 percent because they're completely agnostic to market direction. If everything goes south, they just short. If things are going well, you go long. There's certain contracts that are going to do well, you go long those, and you go short the others. We shorted the oil market in the 2013 sort of 13, 14 period and did really well there too. So some of the worst environments for traditional investing are the home run examples for why you invest in alternative investments, and managed futures is that slam dunk scenario where when things go Go really wrong in traditional asset classes manage futures you know past performance no guarantee of future results all that but you know year after year it's done really well there so that's that's my slam dunk case
1: that's fantastic so what, what I drew from that and tell me if I'm right or wrong is is those um, investments performed more in line with reality <laughs> whereas um, maybe some of the traditional investments were more um, emotion um, emotion and um, Perception driven, is that a fair statement?
3: Yeah, I mean that kind of dovetails into the entire thinking about alternative investments. You know, whether, if you're looking at private equity, let's say, you know, private equity investing is all about picking a private company and figuring out a way to turn it around ultimately making money on it. You're looking at the fundamentals of that company. How can we improve the bottom line and sell it? it? Has nothing to do with emotions, you're fixing a company, right? Versus if you're just buying and selling socks, you're so susceptible to what's going on in the macro universe. You can have a great idea in the public markets. But who cares if everybody's leaving that, that particular stock? The price is going to go down. Managed futures is, is a great example of that. Managed futures is all systematic. There's no emotion at all. It's algorithmic. It's rules based. So you can't let your emotion influence your decision making, which actually, if you look at it and you look at historical returns, has been pretty good for investors.
0: So I'm, I asked this question. I'm going to try to ask to our, our different presenters that come on the show day is, and. The last guy I mentioned, it depends on your goals, which was, I know he didn't want to get too specific, but I'm going to yeah. let you because here's the deal. Not not made, disclaimer, whatever. This is not investment advice. This is a question. Okay. If I inherited a million dollars today, someone or someone walked in and just handed me a million dollars in cash and I went to you and said, what should I do with it? I know your next question is, what's your goal? Mm-hmm. Let's say my goal is to get a good return and you can make up whatever a good return is for you. What should I do with it?
3: Well. You know, to to the other presenters, you know, the response. It, it does depend on your goals. A lot of it depends on your age and how how long you're willing to lock up capital. But here's here's this is more my personal view than anything is when you're looking at traditional investing, go low cost because the difference between a good manager in the traditional investing sphere, fixed income, stock stock indices. If you're looking at long only equity fund, the difference between the best manager and the worst manager is not that much. So go low fee. And then when you're looking at alternatives, don't be afraid to pay up for the best. You know, fees and alternative investments definitely tend to be higher than traditional investing, but they can often be worth it. You gotta look at net of fee returns and see what you're getting. So if you got a million dollars in cash and that's all you had, you didn't have any other investments, You know i would say put you know put a good portion of that liquid traditional investing but put at least 20 to 30 percent of that in alternatives and when you're looking at those alternatives you do you got to find someone if you can't do the homework find someone who really knows alternatives for you to help you and i like that barbell approach where you look at private equity you get those excess returns you look at managed futures to protect your portfolio in case something goes wrong that's what i would do
0: i'd say this girl's kind of smart I say, girl, I, that's that's offensive. I, I think this, you, you this double lady, offended. She's this, ki- this lady,
3: I'm a girl, and I'll kind, a girl. and kind,
0: and kind of sm- <laughs> smart. Is, the, is, is is sarcastic.
1: The under the understatement of the podcast. Yes. I mean, I'm um, incredibly impressed, and I appreciate um, all. I, I, I'm over. It doesn't look like I'm writing down. I'm not physically writing down, but he's I'm,
0: mentally jaunting.
1: Yes, um, <laughs> this was one of the the things I was most interested about from the um, conference, the private equity side. Um, Again, we were tied up with setting this up, so there's a couple other private equity um, events or breakouts I want to go to. This is, I'm, I'm, I'm going to bend your ear after this so we don't have to um, one-side the podcast, but um, I want you to leave our listeners with um, um, how, how to find you, how to find your firm. Um, give us a little bit of advertisement. This is a marketing podcast, so um, tell us about you.
3: Sure, yeah. I mean, uh, look, I, I've worked at Altagoras since 2002, or excuse me, 2005. Our company was founded in 2002. And we're founded on the premise of, you know, pull you know pull the layers back on the on the onion, uh, look under the hood, do your diligence, and we'll do it for you if you can't. That's what we're here for. We try to be as transparent as possible, and you can access everything on our website, whether it's fund-specific or educational. It's all available there at www.altegris.com. We have a phone number on there, so if you're regionally located and you want to speak with you in Florida and you want to speak with someone who lives there, we'll put you in touch with that person since you would actually meet them in person
0: too. Excellent. Laura, thanks for coming on the show. We appreciate having you on the Marketing Money Podcast at marketingmoneypodcast.com. We'll take a short break and be back with our next guest. Thanks for being here.
3: Thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: with the Marketing Money Podcast at marketingmoneypodcast.com. You know me. It's John Oxford, if you've listened, because it's our podcast. It's what we do. I have with me now Ron Florence. Goes by Ron, CFA. Serves as Senior Strategic Advisor and Member of Board of Advisors of Robertson Stevens Advisor LLC. Advisor LLC, They get that correct? Yep. All right. So, Ron, you, were, you kicked off the conference. Let's say that.
4: I was the number two speaker.
0: Number two. So, you, so you got the guy that got the first, you knocked him around warmed the basement. the room,
4: and then I knocked it out of the That's, park. So,
0: so you had an opening act. <laughs> yes. He had an opening act. I've always I, wanted an opening act.
4: I, I will um,
1: try to do that for you. I will I will start <laughs> talking earlier, and um, I don't know. I guess I could give you like two minutes, and then you can jump in. So,
0: so hit us up with, with what you presented, because as we've now said for the third time, we weren't there for it, so let us have it.
4: I talked about
0: ethics ethics
4: and how much our industry is hated in the world and what we have to do to fix that ethical problem
0: so this is interesting because i see you've got a the name and and I, I have no distaste or anything for for wells fargo it but, came but, up today but I see it, and it came up <laughs> it came so i up gotta today. ask you about it i gotta ask you about it
4: yes they lost their ethical footing that was a big part of the discussion today i think our. Too many people in our industry. Uh, there's a little bit of perspective of what can I get away with, and we need to stop thinking about what can I get away with. It's like what can I do for the benefit of my client? Not just because I can get away with it, because it's the right thing to do. And what a novel idea! <laughs> novel idea. And what was fun today is I actually got to charge the room with that. So it wasn't just sitting up there, you know, lecturing about numbers yeah, and cranking charts and things like. Like this is our responsibility. Like. Who do you think is going to fix our ethical problem and our our impression that people have about the banking industry? No one's going to do it but us. So if you don't do it, you know, a regulator is not going to do it. The media is not going to do it. Your clients aren't going to do it. Except for they will
1: always be there to call you out. And we just expect. Every day. I mean, the thing that I, I, it's just like um, from the other end of ethics to embezzling that no one, I mean, there's some saying, I'm sure some tripe concise thing, but nobody ever gets away with it. It's, it's the short version. It always comes out in the wash.
4: You always, end at the end of the day, get caught. Yeah. And the reality is, is why do you want to go to bed ton- tonight thinking I got away with screwing my client? Like, what a terrible way to go to bed. Like, what a much better way to live is like, I did the right thing today. And there's plenty of, you know, there's plenty of opportunity to still make a nice living and have an economic viability without... Um, with no test, risk. If, if you just are a horrible rate. person. So I actually challenge him with the, a little bit of the the golden rule of, you know, think of it, if you're a client of whatever, a client of a doctor, a client of an auto shop, a client of a bank, it doesn't matter. Don't you want them to treat you like you want to be treated? Like, just think about that perspective. Are you treating your customer the way you would want to be treated as a customer? If the answer is yes, you're probably doing a pretty good job. It's not that complicated. Yeah. We, we overcomplicate it with regulation and fancy words, and lawyers come in and write big documents, and we have compliance departments. Like, just are you being treat, Are you treating people the way you would like to be treated? Well, like-
0: and I'll say this: we we get audited. Obviously, I, I work for a bank. We get audited. We have compliance. We have all the all the uh, regulate, regulatory uh, items that you would expect. But I don't sweat audits, and I don't because I feel we are, I know we're ethical. We don't do it. so. When they say it's right, I'm like, okay, get the information they want and give it to them. And and I I think it's funny when you hear people, oh, they're all angry and their compliance is so bad. I'm like, if you don't do anything wrong and you're doing what's right in the best interest of your client and then your shareholders and your employees, and as long as that works together, I don't know why people sweat it so much. But I guess the ethical issue is some people aren't ethical.
4: Some people aren't ethical. And what's been really fun for me is I actually retired from my corporate life about three years ago. Um, I, as you said I was at Wells Fargo so now I don't have the big corporate brand behind me and the big corporate compliance department and the risk departments so the ABA has been very generous about having me come back to conferences because now I can just speak my opinion right. as, a, as a senior practitioner tell us your your opinion and if people don't like my opinion they don't have to do it but now I can be a little bit more freewheeling so today, during the session I was able to be a little bit more directive, a little bit more opinionated, and really charge them with the task of this is your responsibility and that's what makes it fun because when you're representing a corporate brand you have much tighter guardrails, but I am my own corporate brand at this point so I can say whatever I want. Well, well, let's look into the, the um, basis behind this a little bit. So the,
1: the excuse that you hear a lot of times in this situation is, well margins are so thin, it costs so much to do this, compliance costs, so I've got to go eke out everything I can because it's everybody tries to paint these ethical things as gray areas. Like I could have, but you know, um, even in this, I'm not even going to say the name. We've already said it enough. <laughs> you know, it, it's always something that it just crept over to um, to um, being unethical behavior.
4: So what do you see as those motivators? Is it is it just bad people wanting to be bad? I mean, I don't even think it's bad people. I think it happens over time, and it's a little bit of of the naughty the naughty kid syndrome. It's like, if I can get away with it, let's see if we can try that. Cause we have so many people telling us what we can't do. You have a compliance department and a risk department and managers and lawyer, internal lawyers, da, da, da. And then every once in a while, you're just like, I might actually get away with this. <laughs> and there's a little bit of a thrill to that. Yeah. But then you have to take a step back and take the, you know, your personal responsibility. of Just because a regulator says you can do something doesn't mean you should do it. Right. Or just maybe because you got away with it. Doesn't just ignorance, hell, I didn't know.
1: Um, everybody always seems to be guiding me with a stick and nobody told me
4: that I couldn't do this is there yes, any of that absolutely because it is confusing there's so many rules there's so many regulations there's so many things it's like I was never told that and that's why I made that charge today about taking personal responsibility if it doesn't seem like the right thing to do take a step back yeah. and just because you can get away with it and I think the um, the other thing about our industry, and this is a very, very small subset minority of it, is we deal with money. And people that are greedy are attracted to that. So there's a very small subset that is just greedy. So the, how much you know, greed is their driver? How much can I get away with? How much money can I get? And that very small subset gets an out. Um, sized amount of attention I think in our industry in and and I bit.
0: see how that's hard being on the bank side is you're looking at um, the barbell of doing good and doing well you've got one side where you've got CRA and you've got communities community reinvestments and and you've got um, financial empowerment for certain zones and, and low to mod income where you've got to be there that may or may not have the credit that the other side the well side of regulatory wants to see you be on that side so you've got competing interest with regulators on both areas, so I, I, that's where when you said, you know, I didn't know, and that that's where well, it comes I talk down to which one do that you do. Today,
4: if there are so many different regulators doing their own turf thing, their own initiatives, and it it does get confusing in the cross currents, but that's where it comes back to the personal responsibility. You know, just because you can sell somebody a mortgage and you really know they can't afford it, take a step back. Right.
1: Yeah. The best advice I got was in middle school. It it stuck with me since then as a. We were going on a field trip, and a a teacher looked at me and said, or looked at the class and said, but specifically me, because he knew I had mischief in my eyes, and said, um, if you have that weird feeling that maybe I shouldn't do this, that means you don't.
0: If it's a little too thrilling, think twice about it. So if you had a time machine and went back to 07, well, I guess it was already full full throttle then. If you go back to 06 and, and talk to the subprime, you know, mishap of the tank the economy for well, we're, we're recovering now what, what would you say to those what, what could you say if you could go back now
4: the same thing i would say to the the dot commerce in 1999 and the savings and loans in the 1980s of risk matters um and there we always go through these periods and i think the bubbles are created when people don't appreciate the danger of risk risk matters and what happens if what happens if it doesn't go well. What are the ramifications? And that's the thing of everybody assumes everything's going to be fine and go in this kind of nice pleasant trajectory, but what happens if? And if the if is I stumble, okay you stumble you get back up. But if the if is complete total catastrophe, maybe you you should rethink that risk exposure. You ruin a national economy. Right, you bring it all down. A
0: world economy.
4: I mean you know
1: the thing um, in, in dealing with financial marketing um, we find out that some of the practitioners of marketing um, may not understand what banks do, that banks are the financial underpinning. And sometimes I think maybe even bankers forget is they individual parts of that, that, that they're, <laughs> what part they play in that
4: hole. I always like to remind people of that, that it's called, the system's called capitalism. So capital is a pretty important thing. <laughs> we store capital in the banking system. That's where we have in the capital markets in the banking system. In a monarchy, they would store it with the royal family, right? In communism, you store it with the dictator. In this system, we store it in the banking system. So if the banking system loses integrity, there's some pretty serious <laughs> consequences that go on to that. And so we have a, I, we talk a lot about fiduciary responsibility, but I think we actually have a fiduciary responsibility to our country because we are the stewards of the capital of capitalism. It's not a very complicated concept, but we seem to forget it every once in a while.
1: Right. The economics, the macroeconomics
4: yep. of it is is much
1: more important at times than that individual um, investment. We do a lot of those um, in the wrong
4: way then. But at the end of the day, the world does recover. You know, the, it doesn't, uh, the world did not fall apart, got close, <laughs> but didn't fall apart. And uh, if you are uh, prudent with your own balance sheet and your investments and you're able to ride through those sorts of bumpy times at the end of the day it all seems to work out and people seem to forget that but
0: so I've been asking our our other participants if we can call them that uh, just a hypothetical question just because your your backgrounds a little different from some of those we have a lot of portfolio managers and and private equity advisors and such on here and so my question is if I found a million dollars in cash legally Mr. Ethics legally (laughs) I have a million dollars in cash
1: Nobody ever finds it. Yes.
0: So let's say I did. I inherited it. What, what What would your advice be to do with it? And and no no this isn't investment advice. This is a hypothetical, so not guaranteed to go up. Whatever. But not <laughs> not may throw that in there, and and we're not holding you to anything because everybody's always the ethics and risks. They're nervous to even give an example, but and I know you could say, well, what are your goals? How long are you live? Whatever. But what? Yeah. What blah would you blah say? blah. Yeah, we exactly. got all that stuff. Yeah.
4: Uh, So step one is you call the Secret Service and have them make sure that it's not counterfeit because it would be very embarrassing to be handing out counterfeit cash. Totally. So that's step one is call the Secret Service. Then they're going to tell you that the cash is actually legitimate. And then you start at the bottom and you take care of your basic needs. So your basic needs, food, clothing, and shelter, is that taken care of? And uh, that goes along with the uh, expensive debt, credit card debt, that kind of stuff. Clear up the balance sheet so the debt is taken care of. Because if you don't have expensive debt, it's amazing how much freer you are. And then if there's extra capital, then you just decide when do you want to use this capital to enhance your lifestyle? And if you're gonna spend it on Friday for groceries, it's a lot of groceries by the way, Put in a checking account. Depends on how much expensive debt you have. You might not have much capital left over. (laughs) You could be buying beef from Mars, I guess. Um, But if you're going to spend it on Friday, put in a checking account. When do you want to use this capital to change your lifestyle? And that's when you can start making decisions of what to do with it. So I would first make sure it's not counterfeit, then take care of your food, clothing, shelter needs and the expensive debt. And then after that, decide when do you actually want to use this to have fun with
0: See, I like this question because we've gotten three different oh, answers, and, but they're all good, so we yeah. can tie it all together to have a, a common thread.
1: I love it. From so great, great um, advice from Ron, great insights, um, purveying a message that we need to hear. I, I'm sad to say that we do need um, this call to responsibility. I'm reading a book right now called Extreme Ownership. It's a Navy SEAL that talks about this very much. It may not be your fault, but it is your responsibility. Yep. Um, And so this plays into the um, synchronicity of my world. I I love hearing this and being reminded and you need to as well. So I want Ron to give us a little bit of commercial for
4: himself. Tell us where to find you, how to book you um, and and, um, how to get in contact with you. So when I left corporate America, a lot of people started calling and asking me to do these speak at conferences, teach at universities. So I do investor education, industry ethics and RMF Consulting, LLC. You can look me up. I did a TED talk last summer. So on YouTube, you put my name in there. You'll find the TED Talk, which is along these lines. So RMF Consultant, LLC, if you think I can help you out, uh, I'm always willing to share my opinion.
0: And he doesn't know this, but I just feel really tiny because you've done a TED Talk. He's done a TEDx. I don't even... I know just sitting here drinking guy, beer doing a podcast. He, he I know a guy named he Ted. He maybe. can't spell Ted. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Ted, I don't even know. So anyway, <laughs> anyway the, I, I'm just the, the, the in-between here. So hey, like, look, you're a connector. I'm a cat watching two guys play ping pong. Yeah. I like it.
1: That's right. a visual joke for all of you guys out <laughs> there. That was a, that was a visual. <laughs> hey, uh,
0: hey, Ron, thanks for being on the show. Yeah. Thank you very
4: much.
1: financial (laughs) visualization wealth tech
0: will become
5: the greatest (laughs) black hole ever
0: hey we're rolling at a marketing money podcast at (laughs) marketingmoneypodcast.com and that was a little comedic not really comedic something what what were y'all doing
1: it was funny
0: i'm never funny
1: and this summer's greatest
5: comedy
0: is this Honest Trailers, or is this the uh, ABA
5: Wealth Management Conference? Sometimes I actually enjoy doing the movie voice, but I can't do it right now because I don't have a voice.
1: Uh, it's pretty good right now. I'm going to go back to my regular register so everybody else can tell that when I do my deep voice, I have a lot of rage. I'm
0: going to go ahead and play referee here. That, this is not Ready? going anywhere good. So, uh, Throw so the flag. Benjamin Gross is here. He's with Visualize Wealth. I, I've been trying to visualize wealth my entire life. <laughs> Can you make that happen? He's got, got he There's See an it. app
5: for that. See the ball, be the ball.
0: He's yeah, like A little Caddyshack, sh- too. Make.
5: <laughs> no, 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 make. No, no, it. no, 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 no.
0: Make it, Danny. That, that's uh that, that's good. That's good. I, y'all We're doing all over the yo, place. you wait, let us bring, bring this back. Okay. <laughs> We're at the <laughs> this, ABA look, look, Wealth and Trust Conference look, in is, New Orleans. This is the first ever Encore performance. Yes. Part Are you two. serious? Part two. two. You're the first person to ever be on the show. Ever. Twice. Ever. Oh my twice. gosh. No. No.
1: No. 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 Oh. he's the third person to ever be on it more than one time. Because
0: you got you got <laughs> your boys.
1: Present company uh, excluded, other
5: than the hosts. Yeah. And Firms i once again our honorary co host. This is unbelievable. I just, I could get into this. This, this is, is great. This, this, is this is good.
1: This is what we call the interesting part of the podcast. <laughs>
0: so <laughs> that for that those no of you that are, that are listening to uh, the, the court gestures and me in between being corrected. <laughs> tell us, bring us back to school. Five, six months ago we spoke. Now, no, now we're back absolutely. again.
5: We're still trying to visualize wealth. <laughs> so, what's up? So, um, let's see. So, uh, last time I was here, we, we uh, talked about Visualize Wealth and, and what we're doing, how we're trying to bring really a, a nutrition label around investment performance Remember for our investors, right? So, if we look at um, right now, the, the investment management world is a lot like the food industry of the 1980s before the nutrition label came out. Investors really can't get a transparent, objective view of what's inside of their portfolio, and, and that's what we give them. Um, and so during that time also we've done a lot of things around um, financial technology in general and in fact I uh, gave a breakout session today about the future of wealth tech um, and so that's kind of I-, I think one of the reasons they wanted me to do one of the talks at least uh, because you know it was one of the speakers for that
0: so what, so what is wealth tech how would you define well it's not Fintech but it's like a side of fintech? Exactly. So,
5: so I would argue fintech is probably one of the most overarching labels for technology. Fintech actually encompasses a lot of things, insurance, payments, blockchain, right? all of these kind of different types of technology. And so wealth tech is technology applied to the wealth management industry. So um, my specific talk actually was about an analysis of Crunchbase meta tags. Crunchbase is, of course, the biggest database around startups and anything that, that's around startups. And I essentially analyzed about four thousand and ten different meta tags and find that wealth management actually... about four thousand and
1: ten. I've got to, I've got to jump about four
5: thousand. Well, because 10. the actual number is four thousand and nine. <laughs> <laughs> ten sounds so, better. So I, I rounded and said four thousand nine ninety nine. I, I technically rounded up. And set about right. That's appropriate. Why not just four thousand? About four thousand. Fine. Approximately. That was a bad. That was more than
1: more than four thousand. That was a bad approximation. You're right. okay.
5: So we look at those meta tags. What we find is that about five times more startups are innovating for banks. are innovating for the wealth management industry and so if we look at what the factors of that are we find that banks are actually going out and engaging with startups they're going to accelerators they're going to incubators they're sponsoring these events they have people that are actually going out and talking to startups and so the result is in fact we're we're getting less startups building technology for wealth management. So my talk was really about how to help arm these different executives and these people in the wealth management industry to go out and engage with the wealth with with the technology community to help influence the technology that's created so we can try to address kind of this inflection point of how wealth management technology firms are right now trying to replace as opposed to augment the uh, existing capabilities, right? We see Wealthfront and Betterment. These guys are trying to kind of replace wealth management as opposed to augment capabilities and trying to help the industry arm itself. Well, Ben, do
1: you think some of these things, um, I don't think we went into this area last time. Um, I've thought about this since then Is you know, are organizations building these type of insights for themselves? So it's being privately held. It would stand to reason, maybe, that somebody's out there doing that for themselves to give themselves this in- insight. Or is it just not happening?
5: Walk me through. So the types of insights. What what, organ- what are these these organizations building?
1: Well, I mean, somebody big like a like a Merrill or Merrill Lynch or somebody yeah. like that. are are they not developing their? And, and I'm not saying that as a challenge. Yeah. I'm just curious. Are, are organizations that large, building that large portfolios, are they building anything for themselves and just not putting it out to the public? This is our proprietary thing so we can give you better. Yeah. Um, I've seen something. It's not E-Trade or one of these people, but there's there's somebody that, that is supposed to give some insights once you pay them money. But are they holding these to themselves and developing it, yeah. um, or is it just not happening?
5: So so what I think we find, right, and, and I would argue I think you – hit a really good point right which is certainly a lot of these big financial institutions jp morgan etc they're like nobody can build technology better than us we want to build everything in-house the challenge with that is that in order to build technology quickly that's addressing a specific problem you really need to have a certain amount of flexibility and a certain agility that large corporations don't have, and so we find, and in fact, there's an entire group of organizations cropping up that are about building startups inside of corporations, mm-hmm. and there's an entire business now around that, specifically for that exact issue. Corporations are actually very bad at incubating, building, validating, and growing ideas inside of their own culture, and so that's actually something the companies are are, are doing right now.
1: Well, the the difference, withstanding what we can't see with, notwithstanding what we can't see within. Corporations is you are doing this for the public, and that's what really matters. You're doing this um, to get some some better insights, some better look looks into um, what how people's wealth are performing. And, and aside, it it's interesting to me that the technology go t- goes towards the general banking industry, an industry known to have thin margins, instead of the wealth industry that just frankly has the word wealth in it. Um, <laughs> you know, looking at it as a layperson, um, I'm going to say maybe you're going towards the right area. I don't know.
5: (laughs) Well, I mean, look, we're we're certainly, um, for our technology that we're building, it's certainly something that that we think has value all along the chain, right, that the investor clearly wants. What we see is that investors, if you have a financial advisor in this country, there's a one in three chance you actually have two. We know, we actually went out and pulled thousands of people with financial advisors and found 40% 40% of those people, even though they felt very good about their financial advisor and would refer them, they thought an unbiased third party would arrive at a different rate of return calculation than their financial advisor. So the value is clearly there for the investor. When we talk about the nutrition label, but the wealth manager, they're getting lead generation and the, and the large institution is getting wallet share insights that they wouldn't otherwise have.
1: Well, ben, tell us where you were six months ago, um, because this is this is a startup. It's a growing um, um, <laughs> <Hopefully>. starting starting. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's always the, the goal. Um, where were you six months ago? Where are you now? Where do you want to be in six months?
2: <laughs>
5: Open up the kimono. Um, well, you don't have
1: to. You don't have to be honest with us. You can lie. We're can not, I? We're not. We're not We've fact checking you.
5: Fifteen million dollars in our seed round. Um, I'm, so I'm detecting. Um, <laughs> I,
1: I, I have um, a visualized BS meter. Is that $15.9 or ten?
5: And it's, 10?
1: And, it's it, and it is going off right now. No, I,
5: <laughs> about about 15, okay. 10 Right. Um, So let's see. So uh, yeah, the the worlds of of, uh, fintech entrepreneurship are are wrought with trials and tribulations, right? Uh, When we were here last, we we had a COO and multiple interns working on the technology. And we've had a challenging time landing our early adopters. And because of that, we've had to let everybody go. Um, Now we've brought on a firm that specializes in biz dev, for early adopter enterprise solutions. We brought them into the fold, obviously giving up equity and revenue compensation, but because we need to land those early adopters, the goal in six months where we wanna be. We like to be inking our contracts with our early adopters and then off the back of that, raising our seed round.
1: Well, since this is going out um, to the listserv for um, wealth management within ABA, um, give a little bit, I mean, you've told us, you've described what's going on. Give us a little bit of commercial. Let, let Yeah, yeah. Uh, don't let those biz dev guys get all the glory (laughs) you're going to give them the equity and the percentage anyway but let's let's make sure that we get to that stage
5: absolutely absolutely um so what we're really looking to do is for us the ideal is a retail bank or a community mid-sized bank that also has a wealth management arm for us that that's just an epic win we deploy our mobile capabilities on their mobile application giving their investors for the first time a nutrition label to understand their aggregate investment performance, get curated alerts around any types of outperformance or or lack of performance, and we automate benchmark construction for all of their individual accounts as well as their financial goals. Um, And then at that point, any of the wealth managers at that retail bank um, get introductions, they get intros. So let's say we're deployed on one of the community banks, and uh, all of a sudden one of the, the their retail users logs into all of their accounts. Retail users gets an alert saying, hey, your investment performance is outside the range of normal. By the way, would you like an introduction to the wealth manager inside of this community bank? They click yes, and now we've gotten a curated lead that not only looks and feels exactly like that wealth manager is interested in, because we obviously profile what kinds of people they want to meet, but it's at a relevant time. It's contextually relevant of when they're looking to get um, changes in their financial services they receive. I would think uh, employment
0: benefit services would be an excellent area for this. And the reason I say it is, uh, I have a 401 probably everyone in this room maybe other than Josh with his own business has 401k. Poor guy. And, uh, and anyway, but to that point, it's kind of a set it and forget it thing. You know, yep. your company's going to match. You're going to match. You're going to put it in there. It's going to drop into some investment or diversified investments. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that could send you benchmarks and updates versus just the quarterly check-in or I'm going to log in today and see it. And, and I look at it more than that, but my point is a lot of people don't. Yep. I, I mean, I have folks that have been with the company for years and, and they love the company, but they've never diversified yep. and they're getting up in, uh, maturity where they need to change yeah. their allocation. Yep. And so my question to you, you is that might be a great angle for those folks that don't yeah. have the time, but it would pop up and Some let them Some more passive investment fund.
5: Yeah. Yeah. No, but I think you did hit the nail on the head. So our distribution strategy, we thought, was really retail bank with a wealth management arm this is definitely going to be our early adopter, but stage two—you hit the nail on the head. This is an employment, this is an employee benefits type thing. As larger firms like Coca-Cola or any of these guys get larger and larger regulatory burdens on them to essentially provide their employee employees with greater tools to, to you know, create financial uh, well-being for themselves. Just this insights. is absolutely yeah. key. Absolutely, yeah. this is key. So we've hit the
0: about 10 minute mark to go with our, uh, our
1: 10 our, 10, our, 10 uh, I, oh no 10 oh
0: nine but in that point uh, that that's that's the time we we take away from you and we appreciate you being generous with your time so as we close out two things one i'm going to ask you a question that i've asked everyone okay and then you'll get to do a little commercial for yourself once again okay. the question is if i were to come up with a million dollars cash today right now legally wow. I, oh, yeah. I i got it legally Post-tax, this isn't investment advice for anyone. This is just a hypothetical. What would you say I should do with it?
5: There are uh, investment objective ETFs. <laughs> well, I mean, right? You want to invest? No, 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 it. No, 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 yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, they yeah, I can do anything, but I, but th- I want. I'm just I would opinions. tell him to go
1: buy a million dollars worth of cream corn and I'm, hide it in a bunker, just in case the world is. Bitcoin.
0: Bitcoin. <laughs> hey, if you bought it about seven months ago, you'd be doing really well. Well, the
5: question is, I mean, do you have a retirement? I mean, look, now we're going to do like financial planning so questions. Just, okay, what would you do? What would I do? Yeah. What
0: would right you do? Right
5: now. Right now. Here's, I know
0: what it is.
1: Here's
5: a million dollars cash. I, What's the guess? I,
1: I hope it's invest <laughs> and visualize well. You're exactly right. Buy I d- back I w- some of your equity. Ex- I would add. Buy back some of your equity. I would
5: and- add. No, but I'd, I'd, I'd hire the devs, right? Yeah. So I built the entire back-end risk and analytics engine, but as far as web application um, construction goes, it's not my cup. It's not my forte, and so you're right. I'd bring in full-on web application developer and wrap the whole thing and create the prettiest nutrition label anybody's ever seen.
0: It's almost like he got like the Grammys, like the move on music. They
5: just started playing <laughs> in the back, like,
0: "Oh, it's time! Here's your music." Anyway. Hit your commercial break. Let's go. Where can we find you? What do we need to know about you? You've explained what you do. Now give us how we get in touch with yep, you. Yep,
5: absolutely. Um, the, the website, um, as you might guess, visualizewealth.com. Um, and uh, email me. It's ben, B-E-N, at visualizewealth.com. And um, pretty much anywhere, I've got the handle Benjamin M. Gross. M is in Mike. So that's on Twitter. That's on LinkedIn. That's on Gmail and everything else. So uh, that's, that's how to find me. Excellent.
1: Visualize Wealth. Coming soon to the app store near you.
0: All right. Well, that's the end of this section of the Marketing Money Podcast at marketingmoneypodcast.com. With the silliness and all that it is, we do appreciate Ben giving us his time. And uh, thank you and good luck. It's been a pleasure,
5: you guys. Thanks. Uh